Welcome to The Thought Hackers, the show where you will learn how your mind works and discover how to change your thinking from leading experts and through inspiring stories. Good day, everyone. My name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia, and we are the Thought Hackers. With us today is a fellow by the name of Reese Hagen. Born and raised in a town of only 600 people in regional Victoria, Australia, Hagen has always had an interest in writing and storytelling. In 2009, Hagen underwent training with the Australian Infantry to become a rifleman. What he learned in the military heavily influenced his writing. Years later, the church congregation that Hagen and his family attended reached a breaking point. The leaders of the group began publicly humiliating the members, and in some cases, assaulting them. Unable to justify their actions, Hagen left with his family. Later, he learned that the group could be defined as a cult, and he spent time reconnecting with his family. Today, Hagen uses his life experiences, coupled with hard work, to develop his writing ability. Reese, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Hi, Hamish. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you here. So, uh, could you give us a bit of a bird's eye view of what, what happened? Sure. So um, my mum was raised religious and she raised us religiously. And so um, growing up, we went from church to church, which, um, you know, as a kid, I was never really interested in, but I, I love my mum. So I went along anyway. Um, it wasn't until my parents broke up when I was about 17 that we started going to this new church that um, it was a little different from the others at first, um, a little more involved. Um, they expected you to be a bit more involved. And at first it was this really positive thing because we're in this vulnerable space. Um, we're at this pivotal moment in our lives and it just gave us some direction and a support network that we really needed at the time. But um, after being there for a couple of years, they actually joined uh, a broader network called the Isaac Network, which um, operates out of Malaysia, but they have um, pockets all around the world where they have just other congregations who follow the leader of this movement called uh, Dr. Jonathan David. And um, it was at that point that this church radicalized and they went from being supportive and uh, involved to being controlling and manipulative. And um, we sort of stuck with it for a few years because at that point we loved these people. We wanted what was best for them. They loved us, but um, it just hit a breaking point when um, there was a young boy of about 13 and after a church sermon, uh, the pastor went up to him and saw that he was wearing a skull on his shirt or a shirt with a skull on it. And um, she took offense to that very suddenly and she grabbed him by his feet and dropped him on his head and um, then picked him up and ripped his shirt. And uh, she tried to get other members of the congregation, including myself, in on it. But that's when I just said no and I confronted her about it, um, at which point she publicly humiliated me to try and uh, turn the tide of the um the general population of the congregation in her favor. And um, that started the the process of us leaving because we just couldn't support something like that. No, obviously not. And I, I can't say I blame you for having that reaction. I am curious about something because uh, I've seen this in other Christian type cults. Uh, did this, this group that uh, this, this doctor, whatever his name is, did it come under the Pentecostal type of church? Was it that? 
Yeah, I, I believe it did, but they towards the end they actually didn't call themselves Christians. They they didn't identify with any kind of denomination. They just um, called themselves followers of God, you know, the elect and the elite and things like that. And obviously they believed that all other movements were incorrect and that theirs was the only real movement, the only real followers of God. So um, that's an obvious sign that it's it's becoming a cult or it already is a cult. So um, not something I picked up on at the time, obviously not until afterwards, um, but it's certainly a, a big learning curve for me. Yeah, no doubt. And you're right about that that differentiation where they refer to themselves as the only true movement, that is one of the defining characteristics of cult groups. Yeah. I mean, there are many others, of course, but that that is one of the defining ones. And you see with some of the other groups out there, like the, uh, I'm just trying to think of them, the, um, there was a, the one in Waco, Texas, a number of years ago, um, and, oh, uh, yeah. I can't remember the name of it, but I do know the I, one you're talking about. Yeah, it escapes me, too. Usually I'm pretty good at this. but uh, I know there was uh, Heaven's Gateway it, in San uh, Francisco. Well, there was Heaven's, yeah, there was Heaven's something. David Koresh was the, the one that I'm referring yep. to running that one. Uh, the name of the group escapes me. But, yeah, the, the one of the hallmarks, as you've said, is this isolationist thing, this whole thing of... And the name that you gave it actually was reminiscent of some of the other groups, so like the Children of God and and other groups like that. And there was also way back, which you may or may not remember, um, Jim Jones and the People's Church yeah. and that whole mess. And they also did the isolationism thing. So a very common thing for what it's worth. But anyway, yeah. so you said you got to a breaking point when what was the actual breaking point that caused you to leave it was her physically assaulting the boy that was um you know it was no longer in the realm of mental or emotional abuse it was now manifesting itself in just her hurting people physically so yeah were you assaulted yourself um i wasn't physically attacked there was some uh impropriety uh, she would. She obviously had complete control over the congregation, and she would take a lot of the younger men into her office and give them massages and things like that, myself included. Um, obviously, that's not something that um, someone in a position of power should be doing to someone who's considered a subordinate. So, um, a a misuse of power there, but um, there was no overt sexual assault or anything like that. But still. Um, Improprietous behavior, yeah. So when you actually did leave, uh, did you encounter problems from the church actually leaving? Because I've heard in some cases that when people do leave or they try to leave, the church will try and drag them back in or start threatening them or abusing them in other ways. Did any of that happen to you? Um, something that I believe is that the, the pastors of the church knew that they had um, a lot to lose. And um, by trying to be aggressive about it, then it may involve the authorities and it may um, bring to light the things that have been happening within the church. Um, I know that they they did send people to spy on us. So they just sort of sent people around to the house to um, see if anyone else was there, sometimes knock on the door and, you know, 
just say some things or, you know, have a normal, normal-ish conversation, kind of passive-aggressive conversation. But, um, yeah, like it, it wasn't anything like you'd hear about the Scientology, about um, threats and, uh, you know, picketing people's houses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Were there any, any other things that you had to be concerned with, such as spying on your computers or anything of that nature? No, I don't think they had the the means of doing anything like that. Um, but one of the ways that, you know, in cutting you off from the church, um, you know, we were talking about the fear and the isolation before. And right. what they can do is they, they first make themselves seem very warm and um, like you're in a safe place. And mm-hmm. then they'll they'll ask you to slowly um, excommunicate the people who are outside of the group. And so yes. you can just distance yourself from those people until before you realize that you're not in touch with them at all anymore. And um, suddenly the church or the group, the, the cultic group, is your only support network. And so once you are cut off from the group, you suddenly have no one. And it, it's a powerful tool in you know, you wanting to bring yourself back into the group because you just want a support network. Yeah, totally understandable. It, it, it makes sense. First, they cut you off from all the people that are important to you. And then if you try to leave or you leave as you did, then you suddenly discover that you have no friends, no support network. And that vulnerability, that isolation can be extremely painful. And the draw to go back, even though it's abusive, even though you know it's abusive, it can be very difficult to deal with. Would that yeah, be? Yeah, definitely. Yep, hit the nail yeah. on the head. Yeah. So it, you also mentioned uh, when we were talking briefly about the the issue, like the fear, the the issue of hell, and the things that you had to get over in, in, when you were dealing with your recovery. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Um, as I mentioned, I, I consider myself to be fully recovered from that cultic experience. And it certainly wasn't something that happened overnight. Um, for a couple of years, I actually still believed in God because it was the only way I could really make sense of the world around me as it was what I believed my entire life. And so um, I, I chose to slowly separate myself from the ideologies of the church that I was in because I'd seen people who had just cut it off and you know, that it turned to drug abuse and, um, you know, just their life had gone completely off the rails and I didn't want that to happen to me. Um, but it did come to a point where while I still believed in God, I no longer had the conviction that that was the hard truth. And I I knew that I was only believing in it as a kind of crutch. And this is the way I see, uh, Christians now is that if someone believes or really anyone who doesn't have a belief that, I align with, um, if they have that belief and it's making them a better person as that belief was making me a better person at that time, who am I to take that away from them? And so I, I, it has given me a certain understanding and, um, I think it was a really healthy way to separate myself from that ideology. Mm. And it was also a good way to, um, no longer be kind of enslaved to the fear of hell, especially because it was it wasn't so much um, a really grievous wound. It was just this slow thing that I could heal from. And um, yeah, it is difficult to explain for people who haven't experienced it, but no one forced me, and I just went at my own pace, and eventually I reconnected with people who were outside of the church, and I managed to um, heal from that fear. 
So t- tell us more about this hell aspect. How did that manifest? And 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 as you're talking about that as well, like what was the turning point? Because it's really important for our audience. They're always very interested in what got you from where you were to where you are now. Sure. So um, as I mentioned, I went to churches growing up my entire life. And um, one thing they teach you in Sunday schools and things like that is that if you don't believe in Jesus, when you die, you go to hell. And you're also confronted with this this idea at a very young age that hell is a place of unimaginable torture. And it's just beyond your wildest dreams, like it's this profound and conscious um, agony. And um, obviously it just terrifies children. And it's something that stayed with me up until my, my early 20s. Um, so the, the way that I broke away from that is by realizing how much of a clever, um, well, for lack of a better word, how much of a clever business model it is. Because something that I touch on in my most recent book, Sovereignty, is um, that the possibility that everything that we've heard about how Christianity came to be is falsified and that, you know, um, Jesus was simply a spearhead for a campaign that was primarily for business purposes. And Hmm. this idea of hell is to... um, make people say that, hey, if you're not a part of this, you're going to suffer something that is so incredible that you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. So you better invest in this, not just with your emotions and your time, but with your money. And um, I think that that's a strategy that a lot of churches employ. Um, of course, there are good churches out there, but it's, it is important that people who are in churches or are thinking about going to church stay vigilant for those things. Yeah. It's important. Hamish, do you have some perspective on this? Some, I mean, the whole belief thing that you're talking about is, who'd you say the person was? John, Jonathan David, who started the church? Yeah, so that's, um, he changed his name. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a, a Malay name, but mm-hmm. he changed it because of Jonathan and David in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's essentially created a belief within himself that, his world is so true around him of of the Isaac network that's created and what it is and what it does. It's uh, you know and and the belief systems that he has to sort of get into other people to to join with him and be part of that congregation and maybe you know even be part of the manipulation of that to to be in that cult. It's one thing that you did. Um, you were recognising the beliefs that were going on and they weren't aligning with yours, which is a, was a huge thing. And you were able to say no. Uh, this this is not my reality. This is not what I. Um, these beliefs are not going to serve me well. So I'm walking away because you know I've I've got my own ones already. But I think you know one of the big things you said too was the children when they when they start talking this stuff to children where that um, belief formation period is so critical. That's um, you know, one of the ways that they can get a lot of people into these into these churches, into these congregations. And look, you know, it's, I don't know, the, the belief thing here is, is so important that I'm sort of also, ref, you know, people might be listening and thinking, well, you know, I'm not in a cult, what's this got to do with me? Well, it's, it's actually got quite a lot to do with people that are suffering through trauma and that sort of stuff with, like we discussed before we got on, Reese was, um, you know, you've got people in, 
manipulating relationships, um, might have been abused and manipulated as children and created beliefs around that as well. But essentially you've got people who will control a relationship and people call them narcissistic, but it's what they believe in. It's it's their their reality. It's what they believe to be true and how they need to treat people. And... You know, they're, the same, they're similar people that will take you away from your support network and your friends and all of a sudden you're in a place with nothing except that person controlling you. So it's very relative to, you know, whether it's a cult at a church or a relationship or a workplace. Um, this stuff happens everywhere. When you, when they took out, when, when this network came into your church and it started to change, what age were you? Uh, so it was actually, they joined the Isaac network while I was in the army. So I was 19 and then I came back. Right. And so I was 19, 20 when that started to happen. Right. So coming back into that church environment with your family, where you'd been away for probably a couple of few years, your beliefs have or, had already been created in the, in the religion that you wanted to connect to, the, um, the family you wanted to be with from, from the childhood. But coming back into that environment where it was starting to change and you're 19 years old where you're... Essentially, your belief system has already been created. It's and and you were able to look at it and go, "Sorry, that's not me." Yeah, yeah. So um, that obviously helped me, and obviously, my family not being away from that during the time they joined the the church, and obviously me being in the army, um, I could see this contrast between what they were and what they'd become. Yes, and um, yeah, and. It sort of, um, I, I knew the leader wasn't well. You know, there were some certain deceptions that she had and um, they were the sort of things that I was willing to live with because, you know, my reasoning behind that was nobody's perfect. She um, she does a lot of great things, but, you know, these are the flaws that she has to work on. Yeah. Um, but joining the Isaac Network and connecting with Dr. Jonathan David, it sort of exacerbated these this need for control and, you um, it was this kind of um, sociopathic behavior in the sense that she was so detached from a reality that it's, it wouldn't be um, outrageous to say that she was the most deceived person in the church because she genuinely believed that what she was doing was right, even mm. though it was outright hurting people. Yep. And um, it's interesting what you brought up, you know, like this, the cult leader mindset Um those same traits can be taken into other situations. And obviously um, talking about cults wouldn't be especially helpful for a lot of your listeners because not all of your listeners will have been in cults. But might, may well um, be plenty of them. Well, yeah, 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 absolutely. But um, it's even it applicable. Oh, it's, it's even applicable to, um, like you said, relationships between your, uh, a child and their parent or um, significant others, just in a controlling relationship where uh-huh. um Fear and isolation uh, is this kind of recipe for um, being able to manipulate people and getting them to do what you want. It's it's a really dangerous thing to be a part of, yeah. and um, sometimes we don't get to choose to be in those groups. Like you said, like if, if that's your parents, you don't get to pick your parents. Sure, and, no, and it can be and, many. And- it can be many years until you're at an age where you're looking at and you're getting conflict in your beliefs with other things that might be happening outside your environment and within the church, within the family, you're getting this conflict and being able to get to that point where 
you know, I can't do this anymore or I'm just stuck here. But you were, you were very lucky that you didn't have, you already had your belief system essentially created that was able to repel you from what was coming at you because it wasn't, just wasn't connecting with what you had. And it's, you know, it's been able to get to this point to say, you know, if something's going on, if you're not feeling happy within the environment, if you're not feeling safe within the environment, to just be able to ask yourself, well, are these beliefs serving me well? Are they, you know, what, I, what yeah. I'm looking at here, does this serve me well? If it is, great. If it's not, well, what beliefs would? And it could be, you know, that's the point where you can get some sort of change and shift there and say, no, I need to be doing this instead. Yeah, the trouble with actually being in a place to actually have that kind of uh, intellectual clarity, the trouble with being in these groups, from my own experience, is that they cloud your thinking so much that you wind up doubting yourself in, in such a way that it makes it virtually impossible to have that kind of clarity. Now, granted, it does happen because people leave. Reese is a perfect example, and I know somebody else who was in a Christian cult from the age of nine, and he wound up leaving when he was 38 because he finally got to a point where certain things were so unbearable and so intolerable that he couldn't stand it anymore, mm-hmm. and he left. And that's the, what, and, that's, and that's the level that they need to control and, and keep that belief. Whether it's, whether it's the leader of that church, whether it's your partner in a narcissistic relationship, whether it's your, whether it's your parents, as whatever it is, they need to maintain that level of of beliefs getting embedded and stuff going but at some point you're going to feel something it's just not yep. going to feel right yes yeah, that's exactly right whatever that is, is a kind of yeah yeah no you're you're exactly right hamish and um there's a kind of intuition that goes along with that intellectualism and you know it's uh, i think einstein is credited with the quote um the intellectual mind is a faithful servant and the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and it, we don't have just no one is entirely intellectual or entirely in, uh, intuitive. And so it does take both of these things to create sound judgment. And so, um, you know, sometimes just listening to your gut and when you see something that's wrong and realize this is wrong, mm. you don't always have to reason your way through it. No. You just need to start asking the right questions and to you, the right people as well. Yeah, that's right. And so there's this healthy level of skepticism that comes into it. And well, the, um, oh, sorry, sorry, what were you going to say? I've, well, the the point that you made about your gut was so incredibly important because so many people who grow up in abusive environments, uh, whether it's whether they wind up in a cult like what you did, or whether they come from an abusive an environment, because of the nature of where they are, the abuse and the devaluation and everything else, one of the things that goes straight out the window is her intuition and trusting their God because they're so confused by the environment that they can't access it. But if they start to develop any sense of self or self-esteem or whatever, as as you're talking about, then things like that start to kick in, like that gut feeling, as you said, is so important, so important. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, so just coming back for a moment to um, how that those cult traits can apply to different situations, um, something we were talking about before we went on the air is um, a book that you mentioned about it being totalitarianism and how that is um, ingrained in a, a cult leader or a, a narcissist's um, personality and their character. And I think it's it's really important 
Um, and this is something that does apply to everyone. If we just take a step back from our own personal experiences of trauma and um, being manipulated and abused and look at the society that we've created for ourselves and what we're headed towards, um, especially with, you know, I know this may be a controversial um, talking point, but um, with some of the things that Trump is bringing up, you know, building a wall, all this sort of stuff, it's um, it's it's kind of isolating in itself. Absolutely. And yes. it's, it's not just that, but there is this surveillance state that's going on about, you know, that thing that happened with the NSA a while back about them reading people's emails and things like that and all these Snowden files, however much you believe that. Um, there is some evidence, whether or not it's anecdotal, um, to point to the fact that we are being monitored all the time. And this is the kind of, um, that's the liberty that we've sacrificed so that we can have this perceived security. And so um, I think it's in that respect, it is applicable to everyone, but um, also to personal uh, experiences. Mm. Yeah. And, and for our audience, uh, the book that Reese had just uh, referred to is called Thought Reform. And the sorry, thought reform and the psychology of totalism. It's written by a guy by the name of Robert J. Lifton. And when I first encountered it, well, we're reaching back in time a long ways now, but it's about 40 years ago. So I don't know how available it is. But the one thing I can tell you about it is that it's a book that was used at that time by the programmers. And there was a particular chapter in there of eight points, can't recall what they are. But what they are is a definition of how cults function. And some of these uh, narcissistic leaders, you could probably refer to it for that as well. So for those of you listening, it uh, might be worthwhile to see if you can find it. Reese, um, you'd, you'd obviously have um, made uh, good friends within that church before you left. Um, sure. And okay. maybe even you know continued those relationships after, uh, after leaving. Were there... And without mentioning names or you know describing people, it's were there yeah. people who you were talking, you were still communicating with that were still stuck in that space, but were, the conflict was so big they just didn't know what to do. So um, when I left, I was fortunate enough to leave with my family and um, a couple of other friends. So I kind of took a, a small support network with me. However, anyone who stayed in the church was cut off from us and um, right. any kind of contact with us would have led to severe um, reprimands within the church from the leaders. So um, unfortunately, I, I didn't keep in touch with them. But yep. um, yeah, like it, I, I have heard things through the grapevine. It's it's all uh, rumors, of course. But yep. yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that they're, they're coming to their, their senses as well. Hmm. Some Some might. Like this, this yeah. guy that I knew, like I'd been in this group and I'd actually, you know, long after everything was done, I tried to find him, couldn't find him. And I'd been looking for him for 30 years, literally. And then one day his wife contacted me on Facebook and he said to me, I didn't think you'd want to talk to me. I said, geez, man, wish you'd contacted me years ago. I'd forgiven you like yeah. 20 odd years ago. And he just went, oh, really? It's like, yeah, you know, so People can come to their senses, they can come to this place, but he was the only person from that group who reached out to me afterwards. But we were friends before the cult group, so that maybe was what made the difference, I don't know. 
Yeah. But we were still friends to this day, and it's really nice. And, and I'm happy to have him in my life again. He's completely free of their influence. No problem there. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's, um, yeah, it can happen. It, so. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to know that, you know, I'm sure his process would have been a lot different, well, greatly different to mine and yourself and to Hamish's. Mm -hmm. And so um, th there's no rhyme or reason to it, but um, it's certainly possible and there's more one, more than one way to do it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely Reece, true. Reese, tell us about the books that you've written. Uh, sure. So um, I've, I've always loved writing, as you mentioned um, at the beginning of the podcast, but um, I wasn't allowed to have any kind of creative expression within the church because um, I guess any kind of uh, fiction or any kind of narrative really that wasn't directly concerning Christ and um, the ideologies that this specific ch uh, chain of churches had was forbidden. Um, so I actually returned to writing after that. And um, my first novel was Hunting Taylor Brown. And that was really cathartic for me. And it was a kind of act of rebellion and something that I believe um, helped me heal a lot from uh, what I went through in the church. Mm. And um, I, I kind of manifested myself into the characters, as I believe all writers do to some extent. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was just it was a kind of therapy of its own because all these things were coming up that I didn't know um, were in me. And so I was just dealing with them as they came up while writing this book. And it was just this really beautiful experience. Um, and so that was, that was uh, like a crime thriller sort of book that I, um, I didn't really try and make uh, any, I guess, uh, profound points with that one. However, my second novel, Sovereignty, is more directly related to religion, but also to capitalism and to uh, government and the way that those institutions interfere with our personal lives, in this case, through religion. Um, and so it's it was also cathartic, but also something that I hoped people would read and look at um, not just religion, not just Christianity, but history and the government and even themselves and the way that they can be convinced of things in a different light. Because one of the main themes in it is that we can convince ourselves of anything if we, we dwell on it enough and we, we just listen to the wrong people and we, um, we make decisions to believe things sometimes if we don't really govern our own thoughts. And so it's, um, it was quite a journey in itself and um, I had a lot of fun writing it. So. Yeah, really appreciate you sharing that. I, I like what you've had to say, uh, especially this last little bit about the mind and all of this stuff. And and that's so central to what we're about at the Thought Hackers. This is what we do. Anything to help people with changing their mental state, any little nugget, however small or however big, this is what we're about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and um, on that note, I guess if I did have any advice for anyone you know, sitting in a room by yourself in the quiet just for five or ten minutes, you can learn a lot. Mm. And, um, yeah, like he, you don't need to form an opinion about all these things. You can just sort of sit there and enjoy your own company for a minute. And um, there is this odd piece that comes with that. Which is? Um, oh, oh, sorry. You yeah. said the odd piece. Sorry, I, I thought you meant. No, I, I thought you meant a piece of something, not the word piece as a. Oh state. yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, mate. Yeah. <laughs> no, Screwed that right. one up. 
That's funny. It's weird hearing someone with an American accent say mate, but that's good. <laughs> yeah, no problem, no problem. It's funny. Uh, it's, and, it's, and it is. When, it's, we, it's, when we start to think about, if we're continually thinking about these, these things so we can get so churned up in that and our internal language will mess us around, it's our conscious conflicting with our unconscious and it's just... Let that all go. Yeah. Like I said, just sit. You'll feel it. You've got that the gut, um, the gut mind, the heart mind. There's, you know, there's these other minds that are going to tell you what's going on as well and guide you in some, some direction. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting what you said, Hamish, about the conscious unconscious minds, and um, I also believe just this constant stimulation in the age where you know we have a computer in our pocket where we can access pretty much everyone's opinions and every piece of information that we've ever had yep. at the click of a button. Um, it's just really easy to be so constantly um, reading about things that may not sit well with us. They may trigger certain traumas from our past. And I, I think it kind of creates this culture of hypersensitivity and um, easily being offended yes. that um, yeah. we've sort of fallen into. And so, um, yeah, once again, just sort of sitting down and spending some time with yourself is what I would recommend for anyone. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. So for the people who have been listening today, if they want to get more information about you, where would they go? Um, so I do have a website, just reesehagen.com. Um, if you'd like to know more about my, my books, um, Sovereignty is available on um any online bookstore, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, probably the best sources for that. Um, if I think there are a few books called Sovereignty, so this one's of a giant hand that's got strings and it's attached to Jesus, who's got his arms out. Okay. Uh, yep. <laughs> <a bit> of, <laughs> nice and controversial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going nice. for. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Well, controversy's good. It it stirs up stuff and makes people think. Hopefully, yeah. I'm just yeah, having, I'm yeah. just having a look at that. It is. It's. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to say, like, um, it's good to be able to have a chat to you guys, and I'm glad that you have the Thought Hackers and just something Thank that you. is dedicated to people who have been through um, these really serious traumatic events, but things that are kind of played down in our modern society because it's it's common, mm. and um, just because something's common doesn't mean it's not severe. And so, um, yeah, I just want to yes. thank you guys for putting all this together. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank for you so much. So, I was just going to ask one little thing: if if people did want to get in touch with you and just ask a question or something, I can see on your on your website is your a link to your yep. Facebook page, so they can connect with you there. Facebook would be the best way to do it. Yep. I'll obviously get the message straight away, and no yeah, I try and respond to everyone. Fantastic. Perfect. All right. Well, I guess we're done for now. Thank, so thank for you very much, Reese. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Let Nathan wrap it up. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, our pleasure. So for those of you who have been listening, my name is Nathan Siegel. I'm here with my colleague Hamish Baston out of Australia. Today we've been gifted with the time of Reese Hagen, and we're the Thought Hackers. We'll catch you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Thought Hackers. Make sure you subscribe and get each new episode emailed straight to you so you don't miss a show. And have a look at our resources page where you will find programs, audios and books that will create change in your thoughts.